Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Borak, and today I bring to you a guy who's known me since I was about yay tall. Uh, He grew up playing at the same tennis center. Well, we didn't grow up together, but uh, I grew up while he was there at the same tennis center. Uh, His father was actually the director of the tennis center, and so we're going to jump a little bit into that a little bit later. But for the moment, I bring to you guys Zach Campbell. Hey, good evening, uh, Adam. Thanks very much for for having me on. Um, you know, started listening that you were doing a couple of these. And I was like, man, that's awesome! Like, this, what what a what a cool thing! Um, and it's an honor to to be chatting with you. All right, all right. To uh, to Tipsy Tennis, mm-hmm. go. I just want to say the last time I shotgun a beer was in the bathroom of a karaoke bar in Cape Town. <laughs> Probably ten years ago. That's that's exactly what I want to hear. All right. That's exactly what I want to hear. Uh, first, why don't you tell us how you got started playing tennis? Because your your father is a tennis player. Your mother's a tennis player. Tennis was not at a young age. Tennis wasn't really a choice. It was just kind of there. Um, my dad uh, has been a tennis teacher and coach uh, since long before I was born um, my mom played and so I was holding a tennis racket you know long before two years old as soon as mm-hmm. I was able to hold it up oh wow the very first racket that I ever had was um, that that old uh, I think it was the Connors like the steel T2000 mm. thing and my dad it was too heavy because I was a little kid he sawed the handle off <laughs> and then covered it in duct tape and I would just run around hitting a balloon <laughs> with that thing so you know, it 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 was just there from from a really really early age. Um, not that I ever you know sort of understood the importance of the game or the meaning of it or or how to even be any good at it, but but it was just always there. Was there any pressure for you to like be well to be good at it, or was it just you know be good enough to play with your parents to you know have well, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that my parents put pressure on me to, to like get a college scholarship with it or, or really like, you know, go crazy at, um, junior tennis tournaments. And I think like that's, that's one of the, the scariest things to me in some ways is I have a young daughter now, the tennis parent is a noted stereotype of a completely like overbearing, you know, you think about like the Williams sisters and Richard mm-hmm. Williams and like, they're going to be great. Like, you know, they must be great. I'm going to make them great. Uh, and, and that just happens still and throughout. And it's, it's not like clean and nice, like a movie. I think, um, if there was ever any pressure to like, try to be good at tennis, it, it always came from, from within and uh and actually you know the the pressure wasn't to be good at tennis but just to do it and that's like you know in in high school I quit for three years I didn't touch a racket for three years between Mm -hmm. about 14 and 17 uh maybe 13 and 16 I can't remember I put it down and I I said I'm gonna learn how to play the guitar Mm -hmm. and that was like my form of rebellion Mm -hmm. Um, how far did you get in that of of playing guitar Mm -hmm. uh I I would say um I don't know. Maybe I was better at guitar than I, than I've ever been at tennis. Uh, at one point in time, I I only play now to you know 
Google, uh, you know, what are the chords for baby beluga, um, <laughs> to, to try to keep my daughter entertained, um, or to get my wife to sing cause she's a great singer. But no, I mean, I, I managed to, I had a, a fun band in high school, with a couple friends, Abe and Jamie, um, Jamie's still making music and, and, and out there doing that. But we managed to play CBGBs before it closed. We opened for Mountain. We opened for the Dead Kennedys. You know, we had some good I shows. Mean, yeah, it was. Oh wow! It was really fun. Um, I eventually found a way, sort of, back to tennis too, and and picked up the racket and the guitar, and it was just uh, all strings all day. All strings all day. What's your most memorable U.S. Open match that you witnessed live? Ooh, um, that's an interesting question. Um, so I've gone to the U.S. Open probably, I'm 36 now, I've probably gone at least 15 years, 20 years maybe. You know, this is this doesn't sound like real old, grumpy man kind of thing, but I miss the old days of the way the U.S. Open was where now it's just so crowded, it's so corporate. I think that one of my favorite matches there, so this was years and years ago, uh, I was probably short, short, shortly out of college, had one of my first jobs, like trying to be, you know, like, ah, like I can, I can sort of buy my own way and afford like some nice things for myself. And one year I took my brother and it was just the two of us that went and he was still either in high school or he was just starting college. And on one of the outside courts, I'm pretty sure it was Dennis Istamin and like a 18 year old Marin Chilich. <laughs> Uh, play a five set match on like one, and you know, we're like inches away. Chilich went on one, you know, won the damn thing, you know, years later. Years later. Many, many years later. But, uh, you know, I was, I could have, I could have reached out and touched him. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine a while back was putzing around um, with his like Chase credit card points, seeing what it would be like to buy like a really fancy seat for some of the night matches. Uh, and I guess uh, he fat thumbed it and clicked his way and purchased it. And because it's done with points. Non-refundable? Non-refundable. Um, he bought like some absolutely insane seats. He tried to sell them. No one would buy them because they're like, you know, very, very expensive <laughs> ridiculous seats and uh and eventually they just wound up throwing in like you know some corporate passes or whatever and he had to eat it and he's like i can't i can't sell these i don't know anybody else that would really want to want to go uh go to this and and go in on it would you want to come with me and i said absolutely like i'll buy all your food i'll buy your drinks whatever mm -hmm. i went there and we went into like the corporate lounge and it's all these business people who have courtside seats or boxes and they're not even in the stadium. They're in like this like corporate area where they have all the practice courts that they turn into um, specialty lounges and all that stuff. And they're eating, you know, chilled lobster and watching maybe one or two points on television trying to do a business deal. It's, it's kind of terrible because then there's kids up in the nosebleeds who don't get to come down and actually see, see the matches. But, but we, we left the corporate lounge and uh, wound up sitting next to Brad Gilbert. Watching oh, yeah? some yeah, watching <laughs> watching uh Simona Halep play uh Serena Williams, which was a crazy oh, wow. yeah, it was a was crazy he, match. Was he coaching Halep at the time? He was coaching Halep at the so time. So you sat next to Halep's coach yeah. Walsh and, and yeah, watched yeah, yeah. Halep. Like well. literally the seat next to it was like there's the aisle and he's on the other side of the aisle and we're on the one side. And watched like, you know, some people try to like sneak down into her box and the and it was 
It was such an interesting thing too to sit next to the player box. But it's very intense. Oh my god! It it so it was very intense and in two completely different ways. So it was the night session. We watched the the Serena um, match against Halep, sitting next to Brad Gilbert, while he I don't think he moved. He might not have breathed, <laughs> taken a single breath the whole match. Didn't like clap his hands. Didn't do anything. It was like hands folded, you know, thumbs on his chin, like leaned forward the whole time. Didn't say anything. There were maybe four or five family members in there with her, maybe like another physio or something like that, strength coach. But it was really small, ton of empty seats. That was the first match. They clear out. The next match is uh, Del Potro versus somebody that I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And the boxes could not have been more different. Del Potro has every seat filled with probably like 30 19-year-old girls who combined between all of them didn't have enough clothing to cover a single body. It was like the most stark difference in in how you could fill a player box that I've ever seen. And it was so funny. It was just like, this is the nature of these people, you know? Like, Hey, this man, this guy's a player on and off the court. It was unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't bad to sit next to. I've sat courtside to see Nadal. Mm-hmm. Um, that... That was memorable in a different way in that he gave off just an energy that I've never felt or seen anywhere else. It felt like intimidating and scary to be anywhere near him. Do you want your kid do you want your your daughter to play tennis? I mean it'd be great if she did. I'm not um I think it'd be you know, it, it would be fun to do it together. Some of the most fun I've ever had on a tennis court is playing with my dad. Um mm-hmm. and one of the most fun sort of things that we did, we played these father-son nationals tournaments mm. down in Cherry Hill, New Jersey a couple times. And we drive down there, and there's like a circuit of people that play these, and they travel all over the country. It's a really unusual kind of setup. Uh, and it's really <laughs> strange to see like a doubles tournament draw and all the last names are the same. Um, and we'd always get our butts kicked. You know, I think that the first time that we played it, we played these guys who were like the number one rank and I think we lost six love, six one or something like that. What is the vibe? Oh my God. When you guys lose? <laughs> is it like, it's your fault, my fault? Like... It's hard. It's hard because the, the way that we both want to communicate and the strategies that we want to employ in doubles are pretty different. Like, man, he's going to kick my butt after I say some of these things. He, uh, he, he wants to be the one in charge. He, he wants to make the strategy and come up with a lot of the plans. It's not that he doesn't listen to feedback, but he, he, he doesn't like feedback mid-match, which I think is, I think personally is hard because I think so much of doubles especially is about making strategic changes like as you're playing, right? You lose, you lose a set, six love, you got to try something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think maybe against this, this one team, uh, we did try something different, and we won one game instead. I'll never forget. My dad went up to the other the other guy's dad afterwards and goes, "Man, you are amazing out there. I think you missed one shot the whole match." And he goes, two. I missed one return, and I hit one double fall." And that was it. It was like <laughs> unbelievable. Um, and no, but it was it was so cool. And it, that's 
more than I would want my daughter to actually play tennis, I would want to experience something like that with her, I think, in that these people see each other repeatedly throughout the course of the year, just playing these matches against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was a really kind of amazing thing that I, if, if she wants to play, I hope we can do something like that. Uh, we're going to do another shotgun. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Halfway through the pod... Maybe not. Maybe I don't know. To be honest, I don't know how long these podcasts go for. Uh, I just edited down to be in the 25-minute ballpark. So uh, for all intents and purposes, we're halfway through the pod. Here we go. Cheers. All right. My view when it comes to if or when I have a child, I want them to, to play tennis. Like, unfortunately, there's... There's no option. Oh, you're going to be... Yeah, yeah. However, that, though... That tennis player. Look, I, there's no option in whether or not they're going to play tennis to to what extent is going to be up to them. Yeah. My parents pushed me to to try to be the best that I can, and it was uh, and it, it was very difficult growing up, and there are plenty of times where I wanted to quit. At some point, I really didn't have a, a decision, but... The emotional element of the sport, and I think that that's something that I I'm a better player now in my thirties than I was in my twenties or in my teens or really at any age. Uh, not because I'm in the greatest shape of my life, but because I've sort of started to understand that tennis is an emotional game, and the expression of that and feeling of that and being relaxed and accepting, you know, different both positive and negative feelings while you're on the court uh, and finding a way to enjoy it has really changed the, the, my ability to actually play the game um, mm-hmm. and in a way that I don't think, not that, you know, whatever, there's tons of people smashing rackets. Like that's, that's one of my favorite things is, is to watch people who aren't particularly good at tennis at <laughs> all uh, and are like full grown adults just be like, fuck this shit. Like b- breaking a racket, you know, because they they missed a, a shot with no spin going 20 miles an hour, you know, 40 feet left. And they're just so pissed off. They're like, how could I do that? It's like, well, what do you play like twice a month? You know, like something like that. And uh, it it's just, it does that to people though. It's that kind of a game. It really, it's so emotional. And until you you accept that, and and yeah. go with it. You'll just never it like it 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 wasn't for my brother as a result. Unfortunately, between my brother and I, we were both like very competitive juniors, and our personalities just clashed so hard on court. Like whenever we would play, he would be very intense, and I would be like a little bit, like a little bit less intense, but kind of like quicker in the way that I play, like, let's just go, let's just hit yeah. as many balls as he can. And then he's just like the slow methodical one. Yeah. And it would piss me off <laughs> so fucking much whenever we would play like practice sets or matches where there'd be like maximum 10 seconds in between my service points. Whereas like him, he would like constantly like take 30 seconds, you know, 20, 30 seconds to, to do it. And I'm just like standing there. I'm like, dude, let's just play like, <clears throat> this is practice. It doesn't yeah. like the most important thing that we can do right now is run as much as we can and hit as many balls as we can. That's like, That's... and I understand you're trying to do your own thing in your head and you know, Oh, perfect, perfect practice makes, you makes know, perfect per- play or whatever. But 
he, I don't know. Our personalities just clash. And so one thing though, that I do kind of, I wouldn't quite say regret, but kind of um, disappoints me is that we were never able to really like play that often just because we would constantly get into fights on the court. And then like, like he didn't want to really play with me. I didn't want to play with him. So we just never played. And it's a huge asset that I lost. It's not too late. Now, if we were to play, it's like, it's for fun. Like neither of us is really taking it seriously. We just clashed too hard that we were rivals rather than teammates. Um, We used to do, oh my God, I didn't even get into this. We used to do family doubles of, uh, it was often me and my mom versus my dad and my brother. And good God, that, (laughs) you know, it would always be like one of those things where you get two hours of court time to play doubles and we would never make it past the first hour because somebody (laughs) would just be pissed and storm off. Uh, and it was usually either me or, or my brother, but occasionally we could get my dad a little angry. <laughs> Very rarely my mom. Um, I, maybe she's got the uh, the strongest uh, inner will of all of us. The, the best inner game of tennis is, is Susan Campbell. She is so sweet. <laughs> I see her playing doubles even like with her friends, and she just loves it so much. Well, she brings like a such a such a great energy to the court. And that's the beauty of tennis, too, in, in many ways. You know, we're talking about trying to play high-level juniors or, or competitive matches or national tournaments. Even, you know, not necessarily like ITF or, or amateurs or college tennis or any of that. But, uh, you know, competitive levels of tennis. But tennis is, is way more than that. It's not just those sorts of high-level competitive pieces. It's It's something that you can take with you for your whole life. And... In some regards, that's that's the piece we're talking about. You know, if you have kids, are they going to play tennis? And your answer is absolutely. And me is, you know, I would love to. It's something mm-hmm. that I feel that I could potentially offer. Like I could, mm-hmm. I could give a little bit in that regard. Like I know a little bit about this. This is something that I could potentially help with, if if she's interested. Um, but uh, but it's something that you take way beyond that in your life. In that. My parents are getting into their 70s now, and they recently, um, you know, in the past couple of years, purchased a house in Massachusetts, and they're only in New York part-time. Uh, and, and they have a whole community of friends out there already within just a matter of a couple of years, largely through tennis. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, you know, 40 years from now, if Federer still ever picks up a racket, he'll have friends to play with, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it's, it, you can't really do it alone. You know, there's that whole like bang it against the wall. Nobody's beaten time. Nobody's beaten a brick wall, blah, blah, blah. But it, you know, to really actually play the game requires at least one more person. So there's a social element of it too, that you can just take with you forever. And, and having the time to be able to do that with your family is a really beautiful thing. But having enough emotional control to be able to do it with your family is is a whole other side of the side of the coin. My kid is gonna play tennis, and again, like to the extent it's up to them. Uh, if they say I want to do something else, they need to do something. Yeah. If it's not tennis, something else. But if you can't come up with something else, it's gonna be tennis by default. By doing that as well, I'm creating some sort of. That like you have something that I'm not involved in and you can grow in that area without me. 
which is, I think, very important for just like children and even people just like finding their individuality. You know what I mean? Learning about themselves, learning about fuzzy little yellow ball getting hit by a stick with some strings that it can teach you so much about yourself and about so many other things. It's, 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 It's so simple like that, but at the same time, like it just, you watch like just look at the facial expressions of all the people that you know that play it not just at the pro level but at any local tennis court and you'll see that there's just so much more to it than that mm-hmm. um well, and you're 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 absolutely right there like and and I don't disagree with you on that it, I want my daughter to do some form of just physical activity mm-hmm. but if she doesn't love tennis that's fine like mm-hmm. I'm not uh, it, it would be awesome i would love to have some of those experiences with her but i understand that it's just it's not everybody's preference mm-hmm. tipsy is a metaphor for don't take it so seriously there's different ways to 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 live to to pod to, to whatever the, what's one of like the the highs of your own perfect of your professional of your of your of your tennis playing career like it doesn't have to be a best win it could be just the best best feeling playing I was always like so close. I was like, I was always a sixth man. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so in terms of accomplishments on paper, it's actually quite little, quite low. Like the amount of tournaments that I've won. Uh, Juniors was like a huge struggle also because I didn't find a proper coach until I was like 16 years old who allowed me to hit a spike. And I feel like if I had met him like a year or two later or earlier and taught me properly that it's amazing it, how much of a difference that can it make. could have completely flipped everything around and the timeline when you're young it's there's just such a it's very small sharp. window but uh honestly i would say my college experience playing club tennis at fordham mm-hmm. my i got on my freshman year and then all of a sudden like i tried playing varsity i tried walking onto the varsity team the coach wouldn't take me i was like that was also another like yeah that sucks really <laughs> sad moment especially because my brother was playing third singles for them and me and him were like even neck and neck yeah college tennis is brutal yeah but i actually i loved playing club tennis because i was able to play the level wasn't i was the best player on the team freshman through senior year yeah but that allowed me to number one be on a team which is from switching over from playing individually my entire life to being on a team was fun yeah team tennis is yeah it's a different animal but because i was also better than everybody they everybody looked up to me and they they recognized me as a leader and so by the time i was a junior i was president there was no vote there was no (laughs) there was no democracy when it came to it i just said like the president the old president had you know graduated i just told everybody I'm president (laughs) and everybody just accepted it. (laughs) Well, and that must've been kind of an interesting time for you too. And that, you know, your brother probably graduated at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just being in a, in a different sort of environment where you had a lot more autonomy and and leadership and people that looked up to you, whereas you had probably been looking up to him, you know, just really sort of change your position yeah, and I think also be like teaching a lot of tennis growing up and even when I was in college and even now, having the ability to like verbalize certain tennis concepts and like not shy, shy away like I have a professional eye for these things and telling people 
because a lot of like I was a little bit surprised how like little formal training that some of these people had. They had like they just played with their friends. They played in high school. They would they just kind of picked it up, picked it up randomly. And so when I came in as president and like started restructuring the way we practiced, restructuring the way we prepared for matches, you cut out the mini tennis. <laughs> but you know really push like pushing everybody around like pushing people because i was pushed when i was a junior and it's not the most comfortable thing but it's definitely something that's necessary to you know to to get better to improve um and also to enjoy it more like later on yeah in the moment it's not very enjoyable but once you get over it you're like wow i actually i really appreciate that i did that um, so I, I really enjoyed my, my college experience. I qualified, we qualified for nationals my senior year, finally. Hey, hey. But it got canceled because of COVID. Aye. However, fast forward two years later, aka last year, uh, I went to Florida with, uh, with the, with the club team mm-hmm. because my, and I, and I call this my team because I was the one who built this. Yeah. Uh, my team had, uh, qualified, qualified the year before. Yeah. Yeah. And so that like kind of gave them uh an automatic bid into nationals again they had to win they had to play a few matches and win them but it was like they got they got invited to nationals and they asked me to be the chaperone and when i was there (laughs) oh man i was the the tipsy tennis host is the chaperone that's uh (laughs) man i i i i honestly think that i changed uh, the perspective of some of these players when they saw me at nationals, I'm like, like I gave, I gave the pep talks that I gave and the coaching advice. And I'm like, guys, we did not come to Florida to dick around. Like we we're on a mission. The, just like the, the, the way I was warming them up, the drills that I was doing, the, you know, the energy that I was giving, I like, I, I dumped everything like, over there and there are a few times where i had to like walk away and just like sit in the car and just like kind of <laughs> regain my energy and, deep uh, breaths but i i love that Go back reread the inner game of tennis you know um but uh i'm actually and then and then uh in april i'm going back to we're going to arizona so they qualified, oh, cool. they qualified oh, again congratulations this time they played and they had to they played and they qualify and they, they won there's there's an element of just like having known you for a while there's a there's a quality to your persona that I think would make a good sort of team coach in that regard that you have the ability to both get fired up but also to be like extremely calm and like straightforward and and to the point <clears throat> and I think it's so interesting when you get like when you get a group of tennis coaches together and listen to them talk about like what people like mm-hmm. and and the coaching that I've done has predominantly been with with children and with kids and I, not that I, I've not coached adults, but I actually prefer working with kids in a lot of, in a lot of regards because, you know, you'll, you, there's, there's often kids that don't want to be there, but, but for the most part, kids are and and children at different ages and levels too, are more open to and receptive to coaching and changes in advice than adults are mm. uh, and coaching adults comes with like a whole other element of different ways of talking to 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 people um and and you know some people just want to stand there and hit Te- three balls and then talk the rest of the time that yeah. you're there and it's and, and a lot of kids they're 
it's it's really cool to work with kids who especially can can verbalize and ask and be like hey I want to improve on this you know you in terms of your persona actually in a group environment man good at that I think it's important to show people what exactly is possible people don't realize what's possible if you ask Federer before he won his first Grand Slam that he was gonna win 20 no he was gonna be like no that's impossible come on like the other uh, Sampras is, is amazing and he only has 14 like what you think I'm gonna get 20 like they people always think it's impossible until they do it and I always I, I try to use that as like a, a motivator look it's not it's not gonna come so quickly but you got to understand these things are achievable but that's only if you number one set your eyes on it if you don't like if you're not aiming for number one you'll never be number one and then the other thing is ignoring all of the bullshit that's stopping you and just understand that you're your own worst enemy and once you in once you recognize that and can overcome that Oh, that's so true. You, tennis, there is so much you could accomplish and you and it's it's already there as coaches to say something. OK, you didn't understand it. Let me try to say the same thing in another way. Yeah. It's our job to extract that. <laughs> and that's like my my objective when, you know, every time I step on, on court. It's interesting to be able to play tennis and then also spend two hours like we played for 45 minutes. Mm hmm indoors and got rained out uh and then after that we talked about it for two more hours right mm -hmm. so we played for 45 minutes and then talked for two hours so it's like <laughs> if that's not a how do you get about tennis players brains you know just for i don't understand how you can play indoors and get rained out uh that that was a first um, yeah, that's that definitely first a first I actually, when I was at going to Fordham, I was working at Kerry Leeds yeah. on the weekends. And I remember I was asking them, like, you know, like, I wanted more hours. What happens if it snows? <laughs> so listen, I wanted more hours, and they're like, mm, okay, fine. Here's an extra lesson. Because I, I was a broke college kid. Yeah. As, always, uh, you know, as we all were at some point. Cheers to that. <clears throat> Cheers to that. So I finally get, like more hours the first day that because before it was like saturday and sunday from 8 to 12 those that was like the mm -hmm. tournament training junior yeah, yeah, yeah. development thing i show up late 15 minutes late to an hour lesson which is a big deal yeah that's rough and first of all the director at the time was lizel huber huber yeah, yeah, yeah. grand slam champion in uh in doubles in women's doubles and mixed doubles she had i think she had like seven or eight grand slams for her name so she was a director i come late i get a call from her and it's basically like what the fuck yeah i'm like i'm sorry no no no, no. okay snowstorm came comes like a week later i get a call she's like hey we need people to be there from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. shoveling the bubble so, so it doesn't, doesn't collapse. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't yeah. build and, cl and, and collapse. And I'm just like, this motherfucker. The, if I wasn't in the doghouse. Yeah, you wouldn't have been. This is in. an easy. Yeah, but 
No way. But I wouldn't even be called. Dog, but you were in the doghouse. I wouldn't even be called. I got paid for it, you know, obviously. For the for the hours, it was like, you and know. it made you a better tennis player. <laughs> it, <laughs> but I, I just remember, like, telling my roommates. I was, like, getting ready. I was, like, I got, I got like, dressed up. And they're, like, where are you going? I'm, like, oh, I'm, go- I'm going to work. Bring, like, eight pairs of socks with you like, for something like that. Yeah. They're, like, you're going to work. It's 8 p.m. or, like, 9 p.m. I'm, like. I'm shoveling snow tonight. What can I tell you? You got that experience because your dad was a, you know, was like running the place. I got a similar experience and, and I've also like gone to Prospect Park and I like, I was up all night. There was one, one time I was up all night. It was me, Jesse Chalfin. Yo. Paul was there. There's, I think two more people that were there and then we were up all night. He asked me, he's like, yo, we need people to like shuffle it. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was just like nice. a, just an interesting experience to have to have to shovel a tennis bubble throughout the night. Oh, it's like it's, it's a it doesn't make you a better tennis care tennis player, but it definitely builds your character. It also just shows some of what goes into making tennis happen. Right? Also, if like, you didn't give a shit about tennis, like no way you're going to do this. You need to care about tennis in order to gotta, not let the bubbles go down. And when you don't have Sally. those tennis, when you don't have those tennis courts open, holy shit! Sally on the somebody's bar. fucking pissed off. Like, how dare you? I, and it rained like last night. It's nine a.m. Why aren't the courts open? You know, like it, it's it's a wholly different yeah. side of the game that that we're we're you know we're we're not even scratching the surface of talking about here but yeah i mean it's 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 such a uh i would say kind of like a humbling kind of experience too though and teaches you a little bit of humility of like you you when i was obviously you want to make some money but do you like care about this place like are you willing to show up late at night and shovel the fucking snow off of it when i was a junior i would say it's maybe like 16 17 years old there was one time I went to Kelly Park, which was like East. Yep. You know Kelly Park, right? Yep. yep. So do you know do you know Jessica Livianu? No. Any chance? So she she's like a she was like a top top women's player, just like in general. I think mm-hmm. she's like number one in the East for sure. And then she ended up getting to like like eight hundred in the world, nine hundred in the world. She That's she was like she was win- she was winning all the nationals over here. She played like some ITFs. She won a couple in doubles, and she she built some sort of like ranking for herself. So anyway, so I, she she's the same age as me. When we we're like sixteen, seventeen years old, her mom was her coach. Her name is Bogey. I shoveled the courts at Kelly Park, so you could hit with her. So I could hit with her. So we shoveled it. And then when you're done shoveling, you got to sweep it, you know, to get the, like, the residual, like, with a broom. Yeah, 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 You know, get rid of everything. And then I just remember, like, playing completely surrounded by snow. Playing. I had, like, the, or, yeah. you know, we're, we're bundled up. And so. it's a real kind of, like, the old school Agassi moment of, of, like, you're only willing to shovel so much. So, like, there's, like two three feet behind the baseline like there's no moving back the way that the pros do now like you don't return 20 feet behind the baseline i got i got one last question for you before before we wrap the outro yep how many over the course of all of your tennis up to where you are now 
How many rackets do you think you've broken? Intentional and unintentional. I think a conservative number is... <laughs> because I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Best guess. A lot. <laughs> a conservative number is a lot. Uh, I think minimum would be 20 and maximum 30 anywhere. Okay. Somewhere between 20 and 30 rackets. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. And thank you, Zach, for... Are you... (laughs) That is... How loud can you be? (laughs) Are you going to debate... Are you going to make any more noise? Oh my god! Just tell me now because then I'll oh. I'll save my my breath. I've I've had a phenomenal time with both you and your and your mom and your cousin and your your whole family here. I wish your brother was here to be in on this too. That would uh, if 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 we could drag your brother in and my brother in, that would really fill it out. Ain't no troubles like family doubles. Family doubles. You you heard it here, folks. First from Zachary Campbell, mm. the man, the myth. The tennis player no. himself. <laughs> Are you tipsy? I mean, we I, finished a bottle of uh, of this fifty one a hundred and one proof old Bart Stanley. Good, it's good bourbon. Thank you again for listening to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. Thank you, Zach, for taking the time to be a part of it. Uh, each one of these episodes are very personal. You know, tried to bring a a fresh perspective. You know, not something that you hear every single day, things that you can't necessarily say on air as well, but also giving an opportunity for people to connect with, you know, the guests that I bring onto this show. You know, tipsy tennis in its essence is controversial. Tennis is traditionally a quote unquote gentleman sport, which is not necessarily we representative yeah we didn't do that tonight and and that's exactly what i'm shooting for so thank you again thank you for bringing the bottle of bourbon until next time one two three stay, stay tipsy, tipsy. gentlemen this is the morning after this last podcast where we got a little bit too tipsy and it got a little bit more fucked up (laughs) uh i'm hungover but it was worth it Thank you again for listening. I threw my body on the line for you guys. And I appreciate every single one of you. I think this is a great time to say stay tipsy. (laughs) Stay tipsy. Don't get.
get fucked up.